Hello and welcome to the very first AEW Match Guide, Golden Wombats. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me tonight. And if you're joining me on the podcast feed, we've got something a little bit different for you this week. You probably read the title. It's my awards for the year of 2021, the AEW Golden Wombats. If you are listening in on the podcast, it is worth checking out on my Twitter, the absolutely glorious piece of artwork that is the Golden Wombat. Now, I am live streaming this on YouTube. This could be a dicey proposition. I've, this is the very first time I've live streamed something myself. And uh, let's just say my computer is a bit of a beat up old rig. This could go sideways very quickly, but I've been YouTubing and Googling about how to do these things all day long, the last two days, prepping, planning. Let's see what happens. And I've bought a little bit of liquid courage with me. Uh, I have um, one of my fa- two of my favourite beers, Bloke in a Bar and Brick Lane, two great Aussie independent brews. I'm going to rip the scab off this one. Both of them are actually created and supporting podcasts. So Bloke in a Bar is a rugby league podcast. Great lager, really great lager. Get behind that one. It's a rugby league podcast, and they support themselves by selling beers. They don't do ads. They sell beers, and it's going great guns. It's a great beer. Get behind them. Brick Lane, they support my favourite cricket podcast. Uh, So really two great independent um, independent alcohol manufacturers, beer manufacturers, and I've also got some more liquid courage, some whiskey, some Eagle Rare. So Eagle Rare, which is kind of the upgraded version of um, Buffalo Trace, which is my favourite bourbon. Uh, getting to know a little bit more about me today, apparently. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I really appreciate anyone who is jumping in the live chat. Um, we're going to have a fun night. It's going to be a chill night. We've got a lot of fun awards and also some serious awards to go through. Uh, of course, as I've been advertising on Twitter, we've got the absolutely glorious, the illustrious nut trucker of the year, the goober of the year, the wet fart of the year, and, and of course, all of these other great things. Uh, look, if you're in the live chat, I would love it if you could just tell me how everything sounds. Uh, I've got no way of knowing how well this is going. It could be, as I said, it could go sideways very, very quickly, and it could be going very poorly. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe my wife's trying to watch Netflix in the other room. Um, you know, this background, it's uh, got some real early day YouTube vibes to it. This is my garage. This is where I record everything. Um, there's no fancy backdrops here. You're getting you're getting the real authentic feel here. So cheers to everyone. Merry Christmas as well. I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas. I had a, a really nice time. Um, we spent time with my wife's family on Christmas Day. And then with my family on Boxing Day, uh, we always have just found that it's best to split things. Uh, you, you end up running around and not even having a fun time, particularly when you've got a young child like we do. You end up just running around, not having a fun time uh, and, and spending more time on the road worrying about where you're going to go next uh, than if you, you know, just we just split it. We do one thing with one family, um, Christmas with one family one year and next family the next year and sometimes we do it all together. 
Um, but it just allows you to really chill out and, and mellow and have a nice time on the day that, you know, is a holiday. And, yeah, I've got a few weeks off, which is great. So I've been spending time at the beach, um, been getting out on my bike, which if you, if you look just on oh, wrong side, that side there, you can see my bike there. Uh, yeah, just having a really nice time. So, look, without further ado, I think we should get into things. Um, we're going to start with, as I said, it's going to be a mix of more serious awards and uh, some of the more fun awards, which I think are the better awards, obviously. Like, you know, who really cares about my wrestler of the year? Um, I do. I hope some people think it's got some sort of weight, but, you know, what what's more important than, you know, the nut trucker or the wet fart? <laughs> so let's get into the awards. The first award, oh, and also I should note, I don't have any notes today, but people who've done podcasts with me before, they'll know I have stacks of notes normally, absolutely stacks of notes. Um, but Bark uh, Tech, there's something weird in the chat there. I don't know what it is. Thanks, Nadias Tavis. I normally have heaps of notes. <clears throat> normally a very prepared person. I've been spending all of my time, I would be creating notes, creating these slides and working out how to live stream. So <laughs> I'm just going to be going from the top of my dome. So hopefully I'm not saying too many ums, ers, ahs, you know, the sorts of things I normally edit out of my podcast. <laughs> and look, if you don't like the sound of me drinking, it's the Christmas thing. We'll be back to the normal We'll be back to the normal thing next week on the podcast. And look, actually, I'm just going to go back. And before we get into it again, I want to thank I want to thank everyone for the absolutely fantastic reception the AW Match Guide has got. Uh, I was so blessed when I put together the original list, which you can still find on Wrestling Headlines. Um, that people got behind it. People really got involved in it, and and it was the kind of project that I want to do that brings in all sorts of different points of view puts it out there, intelligent things, not just ignoring the trolls, focusing on the positive, the things that we love. Uh, and the original match guide was so well received. Uh, and I've just had a fantastic, fantastic experience creating this podcast as well. Uh, to the people who I promised I'll have on the podcast, I will. I will. I promise I'll have you. Currently, my matches that I've pre-recorded up to stretch to March. So I've pre-recorded a lot. And it's all really exciting stuff, but I've got to give it a like. I can't just keep pre-recording it, you know. Before you know it, we'll be we'll be recording for 2023, and it still won't even be 2022. Um, but look, I, I just really appreciate all of the the positive vibes I've been getting. If you're out there, please rate and review it. I know Spotify recently released a ratings thing. It would be awesome if you give it five stars there. iTunes, whatever you use, give it a five stars talk about on social media it's, it's got a great response on twitter i know uh we had dax harwood shouted out which was mind-blowing stuff like not something you expect to you expect to have um shout outs to floyd actually who who sort of brought that to his attention um from the all about all elite podcast on the social suplex but yeah look from the bottom of my heart thank you so much uh i do this because i love to discuss matches i love to deep dive i love to focus on the positive and, and that's what this podcast is doing. And if you love that too, that, that just makes me so happy. So thank you to everyone who listens and supports this podcast. But let's get into the awards. Let's get into it. It's Rookie of the Year. So I've, the way I'm going to do this, I've got some nominees in most of the categories. I've got five nominees and then I've got an ultimate winner. So the five nominees, we've got Jade Cargill who blew onto the scene. Um, her first match was this year. 
in the, the multi-man tag with Shaq and Red Velvet and Cody. Shout-outs to Floyd. I told you Cody's would sort of be tangentially into it in all these things. He's saying that Cody should win all the good awards. Not Probably not going to happen, but Cody's involved in some of these things. But, yeah, Jade Cargill, on what a year she's had, they have built her to be an uh, absolute attraction in the women's in the women's uh, division. And she is a unique-looking individual. She carries herself so well. Um, really a fantastic addition to the, the promotion uh, and had a fantastic rookie year. Lee Moriarty. Now, just so people know, there's a category later I'm going to call debut on. Some of these people have wrestled before this year. I'm going to say, like, these are the unknowns, the people who've come to AEW as unknowns and they've had their first match this year. Um, Lee Moriarty, in-ring technician, being fantastic, lots of great work on Dark and has just started to sort of show up on the main uh, on the main programs as well. You know, all reviews for him have been fantastic. Daniel Garcia, he's, you know, going from strength to strength right now. I think he's probably one of the, like, the most, must see indie talent uh, in, guys on the indies at the moment just working everywhere doing matches matches and matches which is just how you get good um he's yeah he is just blowing up and he's going to give some stiff competition to guys like jungle boy sammy guevara who you know they've been put down as the pillars but he's one of these guys along with like maybe say griff garrison um dante martin who are just chomping at the heels of those guys and as soon as one of them slips uh, then you know people like Daniel Garcia are gonna they're gonna take their spot. <laughs> Speaking of guys who made an impact, Hook, this guy's had like two matches and he's like everyone's favorite wrestler. He's a number one seller on pro wrestling tees. But you know he he is a mean, but there is also something really cool about the way he carries himself. You don't just become a meme through through nothing. And I think that he. In, in what limited in-ring he's had, he's shown that he really gets it. Like, he is a natural at this. Athletically, he moves really well. He just looks at home in the ring and, boy, this boy has charisma to burn. And, like, honestly, I always think that, like, the moves are the easy part. You can learn those. You can get good at those through repetition, through hard work. But there's some people who have charisma, some people who don't. And... That charisma is often very hard to teach and very hard to learn. And Hook just has it. He has that X factor. And he is going to be a force to be reckoned with going forward. And Wheeler Yuta, look, kind of like Lee Moriarty and Daniel Garcia, he's like just getting his name out there through repetition, through hard work, through grinding. Uh, you know, on the indies, he's had a really good run, with a lot of high profile shots on there shown up on New Japan Strong and, of course, in AEW as well. Uh, but there can only be one winner, and my first rookie of the year is Daniel Garcia for the 2021 Rookie of the Year. I don't think there'd be too much argument. This guy has had like some really high-profile matches against guys like John Moxley, CM Punk, and I think he set himself apart in both of the facets I was talking about. In-ring work, like he has shown that he is a technician to be. He's already a technician, but he is just going to keep getting better and better. You know, there's there's something that is menacing about the way that he works in the ring. He looks like he can hurt his opponent, which is a great thing. But he's also got that menace in the way he moves, the way he walks, the way he, you know, even the way he talks in, on the mic. He's 
pretty raw on the mic, but he can. He, he's shown that he can do it. He's got it, uh, and he will be able to develop that skill and become, you know, a really important part of AEW if he stays with AEW. I know he's signed with them at the moment, but fantastic rookie year for Daniel Garcia. I expect big things from him in the future. And as I said, like those four pillars, Jungle Boy, MJF, Semi Guevara, <clears throat> and Darby Allen. Boy, if, if they slip, there is a whole host of people who are ready and will be just chomping at the bits to take their place. And Daniel Garcia is one of them. 2021 Rookie of the Year. Congratulations. Take a sip for the working man, as Stone Cold used to say. The Nut Trucker of the Year. Now, for those of you who don't follow rugby league, you might not understand the glory of being a nut trucker. What a nut trucker is. They're not necessarily flashy. They don't get all the plaudits. They don't get all the praise. But boy, do they go out and do their job hard. They just take, in rugby league, what they do is they just get the ball, they take it forward, get to the advantage line, take the tackle, get down. Jade was robbed. Ah, yeah, look, Jade was probably my second. Um, Floyd's just said in the chat there, Jade was robbed. I I think Jade was my second, um, but... uh, I just think the in-ring work, she would, she's got probably a bigger presence. She's had more high-profile matches, but the in-ring work I've seen from Daniel Garcia is of a higher quality than, than Jade Cargill. So I'll, I'll, I'll definitely I'll split the difference on you with that, Floyd. These are all my opinions, of course. Um, if you've got different ones, I'm more than happy to hear what you have to say in the chat. The Nut Trucker, back to the Nut Trucker. You know, this is someone who's not flashy, who's not fancy, but gets the job done no matter what they're given. And uh, the nominees for it are, number one, Hikaru Shida, of course, the women's champion through the pandemic, still the women's champion up until double or nothing this year, uh, just did a lot of good things and I don't think got the praise that she deserved and, you know, was unsurubulously left off TV uh, until, you know, just a few months ago. She spent, you know, four or five months off TV and then came back and had this blow-away feud with Serena Deeb that, I don't know, for me is like my women's feud of the year <laughs> pretty much. Uh, so undeserved but hard worker and just got the job done. As I've said uh, on – well, actually, I don't, think I've, I don't think I've said it yet on the podcast because it's pre-recorded stuff, but, like, I don't know what would have happened with the division, with the women's division, if Akira Shida hadn't been there in 2020. It was not a great division, but – Far out. I don't know what would have happened. Um, Chris Jericho, nominee number two. People might say this guy's not exactly like, you know, unfancy. But for me, Chris Jericho this year, he's just like, he's just got the job done. He's been asked to do some crazy things. And he's just been like, yeah, I'll do that. Fall off the fall off the blood in the guts cage. Okay, let's, let's do it. Get my, get my face cut up by a pizza cutter and hit with light tubes. Done. I'll do it. Go in a feud with Dan Lambert and fight some get 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 physical with MMA fighters. Done, I'll do it. You know, I don't like some of Chris Jericho's politics, some of what he does as a person. I don't know if he's the greatest face in the world, but you know, for all of that, he has had a year where he has just got the job done and done some crazy things without having to without complaint and. Uh, you know, that's that's the essence of a nut trucker. So he's he's a nominee. Excalibur, like, man, is there an AEW show that Excalibur's not on? I watch Road 2 shows, he's on those. I watch Dark, he's on that. I watch Dark Elevation, he's on that. 
I watch <clears throat> Rampage, he's on that. I watch Dynamite, he's on that. I watch the, you know, this random women's championship thing they're doing, he's on that. He's in everything that AEW does. <laughs> this guy is the nut trucker for the commentary team, for the media side of things. He is just constantly taking the nut, taking it forward, you know. He doesn't get the, you know, the praise of, um, say, a JR. He doesn't get to be in the in the promo shots like maybe Shivani does where, you know, he's interacting with Sting and Britt Baker. But, by God, he trucks that nut forward. Uh, so he is a worthy nominee. QT Marshall, likewise, you know, you're going to be in a program being, being, made, being champed by Cody. I'll take that forward. I'll take that nut forward. You're going to be in a match with the big show where you get dominated. I'll take that nut forward. QT Marshall, another one. And Dustin Rhodes, likewise. You know, this guy is just so solid in the ring, behind the scenes, constantly trading, constantly training other people. Did Cody went to a Ah, look, Cody is not a nut trucker, Floyd. Cody is anything but a nut trucker. Every, everything is about Cody for Cody, and that's a good thing. Sometimes you don't want you don't want Cody to be a nut trucker. Cody is not a nut trucker. Dustin is though. Dustin is a nut trucker. You know, receives a little bit of praise, but he is not a glory hound. He is a nut trucker. But my chant, my my nut trucker of the year, and I think this is one. This is one I will fight anyone about. Akaru Shida, man, like, sweet Akaru Shida. There is, this is a woman who did so much for AEW that gets, uh, and, and basically all of the, divi the division that she got was, in the division that she was the champion of, all that they got was criticism. Every time she went to the ring, she nailed it. So she wasn't delivering, like, the most, epic promos ever but through the most trying of times she took the most the most difficult division that AEW had and she trucked that nut for that division week in week out when she was on tv she gave it her all she came up with things that would you know to she she got involved in things that would bring you know uniqueness to the product she pitched this tournament she went to japan during covid no one else in AEW has done that. She went to Japan in COVID to create this tournament in a warehouse um, and, and made it work. Yes, she, that's absolutely Floyd, bang on. Um, she deserves it. She is, that is the essence of nut trucking, going the extra mile even when you're not getting the praise for it because you know it's your job. You know it's what you need to do for your team. And that's, by God, that's what Hikaru Shida's done. And by God, she does not get nearly enough praise for it. And, yeah, I, I just hope to remedy that. <laughs> I will never stop fighting this battle of the uh, Hikaru Shida deserves your respect. She, de she doesn't deserve the slander she gets, damn it. Respect for Hikaru Shida. She is the nut trucker of the year for 2021, the Golden Wombat. Okay, moving along. Debutant of the year. In the past, different awards things I've done, I've done Rookie of the Year as, like, the number one person who is new to the company. But I don't think you can do that. Like, because you can't compare rookies like Jade Cargill, like Daniel Garcia, like Willie Eater, with people like CM Punk or Brian Danielson. They're just completely different things. So here's my nominees for the debutant of the year. You know, an experienced, well-known name who's come to AEW 
uh, and who has shown excellence in the time they've been here. So number one, Christian, I think the outwork, everyone gimmick was corny. I think his debut was a bit weird because they hyped it like it was going to be CM Punk and then it was Christian. It was like, oh, this guy's great, but he's, he's not, not you build it up to me. But he has more than shown his work in a number of different things. He had a really great match with Kenny Omega uh, in that uh, Rampage match where he won the, the Impact title. He's been a great companion for Jurassic Express. You can see the work that Jungle Boy is, the development of Jungle Boy as a promo since Christian has been around him is noticeable. And for Jungle Boy, that's a really important part of his game that he needs to develop. And Christian is the one that's standing beside him, showing him the way, by leading by example. Uh, so he definitely gets my nominee for that. CM Punk, of course, the most high-profile return in 10 years, I would say, probably since The Rock, since Brock Lesnar or The Rock. CM Punk is the most high-profile return in wrestling. Incredible, incredible moment when he debuted and he has had, you know, really great program, good, good solid program with Derby, good solid program with, you know, a few more kind of lower-tier guys and then got into an incredible feud with Eddie Kingston, which was when it was like, okay, you're over playing with these veterans, training wheels are off, you're back in the thick of it. You're against Eddie Kingston in a promo battle. You better you better not have slipped in the last seven years. <laughs> and then, you know, after Eddie Kingston, you know, after the best best face promo on the on the in the company who you're up against, oh the best heel promo in the company, MJF. Uh, so CM Punk has definitely had his work cut out for him in the last couple of months. Andrade. Now, kind of like Christian, like debut wasn't great, but I think Andrade has earned his stripes now, particularly his matches against Park. Incredible. Particularly like the second one. Oh, such a good match. Uh, and, you know, that match with Cody, say what you like, but that was a absolutely wild brawl. Um, and you know, these men went through a flaming table <laughs> for you. Uh, so he has worked hard to fix the issues he had when he first came to AEW, and I think he has more than more than done that, uh, and and well and truly earns the uh, well and truly earns a nomination here. Brian Danielson, what more can you say? This guy has come in, and not only has he not missed a step, but he is like. He works like this has been all that he has been dreaming about doing for the last five years. <laughs> like he has come in and just torn a hole in the men's division, just been every week in, week out, either ripping it up in the ring, ripping it up on the mic. He is showing like this attitude and both in the ring and on the mic that, you know, is something that long-term fans of him say they haven't seen. For years, years and years. I don't know how much stock you can put in that. I always loved him in the WWE, and I don't think, like, I don't look, I don't look sadly on those years like, you know, these are lost years for Daniel Bryan. Uh, but, man, since he's come to AEW, he has just been firing, firing on all cylinders. Uh, of course, incredible matches and programs with Kenny Omega uh, in and, and Hangman Adam Page in the championship tournament, just and Eddie Kingston. 
got like so many great things from him. Ruby Soho, the final nominee for the debutante of the year, also debuted at All Out. And, you know, has just had some really good programs, a really hot program with Britt Baker as the champion um, for the AEW Championship. I was actually calling for them to switch the title to her uh, just as a, I don't know, I thought it would would liven up the division a little bit and and put notice on Britt Baker, who I don't think has been as strong as people thought she might be as champion. Uh, I'm not saying she's been bad by any stretch, but I don't think she's been excellent as maybe some people thought she might have been uh and the uh yeah has now been a featured performer throughout this tbs tournament and a really strong performer throughout it so uh, and going into the final you know i think she's a really strong shot to win it and if she does i don't think anyone i think she'll be a great first tbs champion if that's the case she's you know she's got she's solid on the mic she's put in the ring she's got charisma and people love her so she could be a great a great person to just hold that title and be um, sort of the I guess the person that they build that that title around um, the Cody for the title if you will um, Floyd <laughs> Floyd's in the chat for the people who are listening on the podcast so I'm kind of going back and forth with him a little bit but there can only be one winner debutant of the year could it be anyone else Brian the the drag the American dragon Brian Danielson. As I've said, like this guy has been on absolute tear. As you'll see when I go through my matches of the year at the end, I've thought very highly of a number of the matches that he has had. Coming in, like AEW has its plans, right? They are they're a company that particularly books the top of its division meticulously. This man has come in with such ferocity that he is just throwing spanner after spanner in those plans. You know, like I would not be surprised if he becomes champion in 2022 when I think the plan there's 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 a like a serviette somewhere that's listed the lineage of the championship that I think goes you know something it's got listed on this serviette like Jericho Moxley Omega Page I reckon MJF and then maybe like Darby Allen I reckon Brian Danielson's going to throw a wrench in that as probably like some other performers have um given what I would like to see happen. But, man, this guy has come on just with ferocity like we haven't seen in a long time. Floyd says CM Punk did Brian Danielson sell out the United Centre. No, he didn't. He sold out Arthur Ashe, which is a bigger stadium. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, CM, CM has had a great a great one, but I think the the in-ring work, the output from, from Brian Danielson has been what sets him apart from CM Punk. They have been on a similar level on the mic, which shows how highly I think of Brian Danielson. But, like, I haven't seen Sam Punk go for an hour with the champion, for half an hour with the champion, and just, like, incredible Iron Man matches. They both had great matches with Eddie Kingston. <laughs> I was so looking forward to the John Moxley-Brian Danielson match, which I think we're probably going to get in the final of that, that title um, tournament. So... Yeah, he's he's my debutant of the year. Sam Punk definitely close. Um, the the one person I left out of my nominations that people might be questioning is Adam Cole. Uh, I just honestly don't think he has hit his straps yet, and I think that's intentional. Like I think they have chosen to put him on the back burner. Cody sold out the match. God, if he 
Floyd is deep into the Cody Kool-Aid, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't listened to his show, God, the, the All About All Elite podcast this week is going to be nigh unlistenable. <laughs> the Cody propaganda you're going to get. Uh, yeah, look, Adam Cole, I think that's intentional with Adam Cole. He's mostly been um, biding his time doing lots of trios matches, matches with guys like Jungle Boy, um, John Silver. You know, they haven't hit... They haven't hit the nitro with him. They haven't hit the fire with him yet. I think that's intentional. I think 2022 will be a big year for him. Um, so, but as I said, the Golden Wombat for debutant of the year goes to Brian Danielson. Uh, moving on to Goober of the Year. Now, if you don't know what the Goober of the Year is, I think my uh, my nominees for it will probably give you an idea. The nominees for Goober of the Year, Peter Avalon, 2.0, Brandon Cutler, Rebel, Reba, or is it Rebel? <laughs> <laughs> and Sean Spears. Look, it could be like lackey of the year. It's just like someone who you just really want to punch in the face. But that's just a really endearing thing about that. You know, maybe maybe you could make this is this is one I probably could have nominated Cody for Floyd. The Goober of the Year. <laughs> uh, so I won't go too in depth with these. These guys are self-explanatory, like Peter Avalon. The little mustache, you just want to eat off his face. Um, the <laughs> the time that he was on Dynamite and Caesar Benoni got like murked, I think it was by John Moxley or someone, and he held him like it was you know a war movie, and Nate was dying. Like I think it was like it was for, like he was Forrest Gump and and uh, Bubba <laughs> Forrest Gump two are just like so immeasurably punchable. They are just so funny, so hilarious. But just like such pricks, <laughs> you just love to you love to see them just try and get under the skin of whoever it is there, like John Moxley, Eddie Kingston, CM Punk. <laughs> They're just hilarious. Brandon Cutler, man, Brandon Cutler has gone from the most heartwarming, like tryhard in on Dark, be just willing to win one match, and you just want him to succeed so much because he so, tries so hard and he's such a great guy to like this just such an insufferable dude with this spray and he's wearing this tracksuit and he's got this face mask on and you just cannot wait for for a heel for a face to just grab him and lariat his head off or tackle him or put him in a submission move or knee him in the face whatever they can just to see him get hit and then when he gets hit he sells it oh man he sells it like he's a ragdoll uh man i think you maybe guess who this is leading towards given my uh <laughs> given my, uh, Boyd says cody is a sidekick to no one yeah that's that's definitely true <laughs> reva slash rebel she is just like the comedic sidekick to brit in such a great way um you know like and, and particularly now they've got Jamie Hayter, who is just this, like, really serious ass kicker whereas Rebel is just so, so weak. But, you know, she's just always there for her for her girl because she knows that that's her, that's her meal ticket. And, you know, just always in the right spot. She's she's almost the nut trucker in, 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 the, in terms of Goober. She's like the Goober nut trucker of the She's just always in the right spot for Brit. Um, nothing is embarrassed, too embarrassing for her to pull off. Um, nothing is too demeaning for her to do. 
Uh, and she's just a fantastic part of that act. And then Sean Spears, my fifth, is particularly in his most recent roles, <laughs> the accountability buddy to Wardlow. Uh, it's just so hilarious. Um, but look, I think you can probably guess where this is going based on how I've talked about the nominees. It's got to be Brandon Cutler. <laughs> this is undisputed. Like, Brandon Cutler is so hilarious as the the sidekick of the elite. Just this, such a beatable man, such a, oh, I, I can't even, I can, I'm, I'm losing my words thinking about how to describe it, but every time he is on the screen, he is just completely hilarious. Actually, you know what? This is the highlight of the year. When they had that tag match with the Dark Order and you thought he was the, the Marshmallow Man and then he comes out as a horse and they pull the lid off and it's him and he's like and he's being gagged and then of course then of course hangman page does his reveal but just the comedic genius of this man uh he is such an underrated and such a great addition to <laughs> the elites act there's just these completely insufferable pricks uh and he's just this try-hard wannabe sidekick for them <laughs> Uh, you know, fantastic, fantastic, and what a character arc as well. <laughs> so the Golden Wombat, the Guru of the Year, it's got to go to Brandon Cutler. Uh, and we're moving on to promo of the year. Give me a moment. I'm just going to refresh my beverage. This is where Floyd's probably going to tune out on me um, once he sees who the nominees are. Sorry, Floyd. Cody saying he will not turn did not make promo of the year. <laughs> so, promo of the year. It's hard with some of these some of these guys that we've got here to to narrow it down to just one promo uh, because there's been some incredible promos. AEW has really great promos. Uh, I'm just. I const I'm constantly looking at the chat, just waiting to see Floyd Flippy's Flippy's nut on this one. <laughs> uh, okay, so first nominee, Eddie Kingston and the Redeemer Miro. Miro's not in this picture, but he was just as much a part of this. He he. I wanted to put a Miro promo because I couldn't think of one specifically. And when I talk about my second nominee, you'll you'll. It's a similar circumstance where like. Week in, week out, this guy is cutting, like, one or two-minute promos that completely steal the show. Ah, oh, there you go. Floyd, Cody did not have a good promo year. I accept him being left off. Now, that is a surprise. That is a big surprise. I'll drink to that. Anyway, Miro, week in, week out, cutting just these incredible promos, and still is, where he just steals the show. He, he just... Is, is so incredible in this character that he's created as the Redeemer. But the, the highlight, of course, is when Eddie Kingston walked out and cut a promo on him and they went back and forth. And, of course, ending in the immortal line of Redeemer, redeem these nuts. And that made, of course, became a shirt. Just brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, and, yeah, as I said, with that, as much a as much a praise for Miro's promos in general across the year as the Redeemer, particularly as the TNT champion. Just incredible work from him. 
Um, I think we all knew he had that. He was he was good. I don't think we knew how, how good he was going to be. Um, and boy, twenty twenty one was a year for Miro. Second nominee, John Moxley. Now the promo I've nominated, it, I could pick a hundred promos by John Moxley that he's, well maybe not a hundred, but like twenty promos that he has cut this year that that probably deserve to be there. Uh, just you know, in his in the lead up to the exploding barbed wire death match, in the lead up to the match with the Young Bucks, there was the sort of as he was building up to the heel turn, which is what I picked for this particular promo. This is the promo where he went through. Adam Page, Kenny Omega, Christian Cage, and how none of these guys could get the job done against Kenny Omega and how that was just pissing him off so much uh, because he couldn't have another shot at Kenny Omega because he'd been beaten by him. Um, but no no one else could get the job done. Uh, and it's where he, yeah, it's where he, he cut that incredible, he, he had a couple of incredible lines, even against Hangman Page, which is where I was like, oh, these guys are setting him up to be Hangman Page's first challenger when he he wins. Uh, so that's what I've done for that's the specific promo I've done for John Moxley. But it's more like a just a general achievement award for those one or two minute spots where he just takes it and kills it, um, and it doesn't need a long promo to do that. I think in the WWE um, the the long promo is what they've sort of made grand because like guys like Stone Cold and The Rock could open a show and cut these incredible 10-minute really engaging things. But when you've got a show that's stacked and frenetic as Dynamite, you can't really afford to have someone spending 10, 10 minutes in the ring every week to cut their promo. But having a guy who can just take a minute, two minutes, and just absolutely nail it is an incredible skill to have. So um, John Moxley and Miro, they get their nominees for kind of like that. Now, the next three... Uh, specific segment, very specific segment. We've got the first one is Eddie Kingston and CM Punk. Man, the live fire that was going on between these two when they met in the ring was incredible. Uh, when I talk about, like, complex characters, uh, this is exactly what I mean. You know, you've got guys who are both favourites of the audience. They're both folk heroes in a way, but they don't like each other. They don't get along. And my little cat, has uh, just come up to say hello. Hey, Rupert. Hey, buddy. I'm going to try and drink some of Daddy's beer. No, thank you. There you go. You can go down there. Uh, what was I saying? Yeah, incredibly complex. These two guys just don't like each other, but they, but they're still beloved by the both are beloved by the audience, uh, and they're just hashing out their issues, and they still haven't solved it. Um, even after these promo battles and these matches, but they're just incredibly captivating TV and lines where when they drop, you just you just like, whoa! I cannot believe they've allowed themselves to say that on live TV. Um, but you know, incredibly captivating stuff. I'm down to my second. Um, Brick Lane, Red Ale, quality stuff. Uh, third promo that is nominated is. Adam Page, cowboy shit. Now, I think there was a lot of questions, and there still is to a degree, of what Page can do in on the mic. Is he that kind of champion on the mic? And I don't think he's going to ever be, you know, like a John Moxley, like a yeah, like a John Moxley, like a Chris Jericho, even like a Kenny Omega to an extent. He's a guy who is going to have his words, his his work, do the talking more than 
But when he did this promo about how he fought so hard, even when coming back from, like, incredible odds that he didn't think he could get back from, uh, how fighting through self-doubt, how leaving to, to be a father when he was on the best run of his career and, and putting at risk his position as, like, the next anointed one, how that was cowboy shit and how that was what he wanted to stand for. I think that answered a lot of questions that people had for him and inspired a lot of people as well. Um, I know for me, I've told a few people when they've done that, when they've done things, like, that's cowboy shit, what you're doing right there. Uh, and it's a very positive thing, uh, real positive masculinity on display and, and real heart and real fire from a guy who I think has captured the imagination of certain people. Not everyone digs him. But a lot of AEW fans really sympathise and really engage with Adam Page, and that was on full display in this promo, which is his best promo to date by far. And then the final one, the final segment that gets promo of the year nomination is MJF and CM Punk, much like the Eddie Kingston uh, and CM Punk <laughs> thing. This was such a jaw-droppingly engaging display. This was the WWE, let's have 10 minutes in the ring, but this was you know, like you had the best people they've ever had on the mic, just going back and forth and back and forth and just emptying the chamber and, and make, leaving you thinking, oh, man, they, they can't go any further than what they have. And then doing so and cutting harder and deeper into each other and, and to who each other are, to who each of them are. You know, like CM Punk's lines about Britt Baker then getting MJF, turning them into like something about CM Punk and his character and his relationship with his wife. Just like incredibly, uh, this is like right on the line of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. But two, just incredibly engaging and charismatic figures, treading, blurring those lines between real reality and, and fiction or, or reality and kayfabe. Just really incredibly engaging stuff. I think for went like for 20 minutes. This is by far the longest promo segment AEW have ever done. They won't do a lot of them like this, but it was just a, a tour de force for what these two guys can have. But there can only be one winner. And for me, it is Eddie Kingston and CM Punk. Just for, this is really close. MJF and CM Punk is really close to winning this one. But for me, I connect a lot with Eddie Kingston. The fight I just love, as you can see from my shirt. If you um, if you're watching on YouTube, I'll just quickly flick. I'm wearing an Eddie Kingston shirt. Um, this is a guy who's just captivated me. Uh, and as I said, these ultimately this gold these golden wombats. They're, they're just about my opinion. And this was so interesting because it taught it, it had two men who were both really flawed. Uh, and they're loved for their they're, they're beloved for their flaws, and they wear their flaws on their on their sleeve. They don't try and cover them up or hide them. But it was each of them going directly at the other one's flaw and really nailing them for it, and really talking about like why that is not a good thing. And it, for me, that is just such compelling conflict on you know for wrestling, like. Eddie Kingston, he is an emotional guy who wears his heart on his sleeve, but that has meant that he is 
he has rubbed people the wrong way in the past. And CM Punk is a guy who is a perfectionist, uh, who is prickly, uh, and who doesn't who who doesn't necessarily go out of his ways to ingratiate himself to people. Uh, and you know he's beloved because he's excellent, and he's beloved because of what he stands for. But both of these men are both very flawed in some ways, and and they had that on full display in this in these segments. And created just like such an emotive, such a combustible environment, such a charged environment of aggression. Uh, you know, like these two were getting in each other's face, and it, it led to like an incredible match as well, which is you know ultimately what what a great promo is about, right? Like a great promo is about building up a great match. So that's what that's what this did <laughs> in such a such an incredible way. Uh, so it, it it wins my promo of the year. Boy, I am losing my voice. <clears throat> now we move to <coughs> the wet fart of the year. <laughs> Boy, I'm sorry. This is the one that Cody was mostly <laughs> nominated for. Uh, look, I'm taking no prisoners on this one. This the wet fight of the year, self-explanatory. It is the thing was meant to be something. <laughs> it was meant to be like a little fart, <laughs> or it was meant to be something better. You know, it wasn't meant to be anything, but it turned out to be an absolute disaster. And 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 there was a few of them this year in AW, <laughs> and we could laugh about them because you know, like this promotion isn't perfect. Uh, the slander out there is sometimes blow way out of proportion. <laughs> But it's worth it to acknowledge it and take think about things in a humorous way. Okay, so like my first nominee, the face of the revolution, Cody Rhodes is thinking, I'm going to have this great. There was a lot in this that was a, an homage to the very first Money in the Bank match. And in the very first Money in the Bank match, there's this great Chris Benoit spot where he gets taken out by Edge and his arm is just like dangling from a thread. But And he goes to the back and then he comes out again and the crowd's just so behind him because he's this underdog who's just fighting from underneath uh, and is injured but he's still going out to fight because he wants to win. And even though the whole point is that you have to reach up, you have to climb a ladder and reach up, but his arm's not working. So he can't even properly do that. But he's still going to, because he's a Wolverine, he's so fierce, he's going to fight through that and the crowd love it. Cody tried to do that, and the crowd booed him. Man, it, it was so obvious what was happening as well. Like, in theory, this was a, like a cool idea. Like, you know, this beloved face, he gets taken out, viciously taken out by his new guy, Ethan Page. But, you know, he gets taken to the back, he fights, he fights through the pain, and he pushes aside his advisors who, who are like, no, you've got to to fight another day and he's like no i'm gonna go and grab that brass ring but because <laughs> it's cody Rhodes, it would just boot him because you know it's already like he's he's an evp of the promotion he doesn't need the brass ring he's he's one of the people that holds the brass ring for people to grab like this is not a man who and considering the people he was against like he's above all these people he's against because he is a star and none of the other ones in this ladder match are like a star on Cody's level. So this is the first wet fight of the year. 
the second one, and look, this is one that is near and dear to my heart. It's actually a match we're going to cover on the AEW Match Guide in a few weeks. The explosion, that wasn't. This exploding barbed wire death match, right? Like, this is set up to be the most dangerous, death-defying thing that anyone has done in AEW, in American wrestling, for years, for decades. And these, the two, like, two of the biggest name wrestlers in the world go out and have this match over the AEW championship. They're setting up to be like the most prestigious thing in <clears throat> in the world that these two champions will go to war for in this the most crazy of circumstances. And they have an incredible match, which as I said we'll get into. And then at the end of it, John Moxley, who's this crowd, this beloved crowd hero, who, you know, took the company through the pandemic through its toughest years is taken out by this dastardly group of heels and left with no friends, no one to save him. And out comes his old rival, Eddie Kingston, who he just had like who, like three months ago, he had this incredibly heated and personal feud with. And Eddie comes out to save him and covers him up. And then the explosion goes off and the explosion is pathetic. A couple of little sparklers, and there's nothing going off even close to them. And they sell it like they're just being hit by a giant bomb. I don't know what was meant to happen in this, but it, it was a wet fart. This is a wet fart. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, yeah, I just felt so sorry for these two people, <laughs> for Eddie Kingston and John Moxley in there. And if you read the chapter about it in John Moxley's book, he is just furious with what's happening, and rightly so. Like, him and Kenny Omega deserve better than this. And I, look, I'm one of the people that hope they do another one of these matches, but do it properly. Um, I don't know if it's going to be Omega and uh, Omega and Moxley. Um, Omega and Moxley might be the two craziest people. Maybe Darby Allen, they could, who would probably want to get to do it, but I don't know who else they're going to be able to get into there, um, into one of those rings. But this was a wet fart. Nomination three, the Suzuki incident. Like, come on, like sometimes this was such an own goal, such a stupid own goal. Minoru Suzuki's got this incredible entrance that everyone loves to sing along to, and you cut it. I mean, like, come on. It wasn't like this, you know, it got sold online. (laughs) Like it was like this international diplomatic incident and, you know, the New Japan was going to pull its diplomats from the AEW nation or something like that. Nothing like that, but it's just, like, such a ridiculous own goal. Like, if you're worried about the time, somehow edit the song down and just get to Kaze Ninare earlier. Excuse me. Having these beers is, like, wearing on me, guys. <laughs> I don't really drink this much. Fuck <laughs> you guys for Christmas. I'm going to. Uh, I haven't haven't had a live reaction from Floyd yet for seeing this. The wet fight of the year, nomination four, the blood and guts ending. <laughs> like, oh, like the this is so like the exploding barbed wire death match in that you know this incredibly high stakes match that they've been building up to this moment to like create a star, sell an incredible story beat that's completely undercut by the execution. They, they had, like, a number of camera angles they could have used, which would have been incredible, but instead they used one that, like, reveals this crash mat 
and reveals that these pieces of like metal are actual wood are actually just pieces of cardboard. Like I don't mind them having a, a crash mat, as I said in the blood and guts thing. Like this is something that they've done all the time. Like Mick Foley is the only guy who's taken uh, like an unprotected roll off off the Hell in a Cell cage. Every other one of those has been padded or um, you know the the big things with you know Jeff Hardy jumping off things. Have, he just lands on a crash pad, and they use camera angles to make it look like he lands on the the person, and they you know shuffle along to make him look like he's on top of the the wrestler. Cody should definitely not win. It was at Revolution, and the explosion was so untrue. Trust me, Floyd. Cody's not gonna, Cody's a nominee. <laughs> he's not going to win this. This one's pretty obvious. Uh, the fourth, the fifth nominee, the weigh in. This was just a disaster. The weigh in for the go go match. It was already a disaster from Cody's like ridiculous promo about like america and racism and i don't want to get into all that as an aussie like i'm gonna keep my fingers out of that i think if you go back in my twitter timeline i've got some choice words for it but this way in like even removed from that like the weird reaction cody was starting to get they're like doing this way in and for some reason the big show is paul white sorry is meant to be doing the scales and he's really fixated on getting it right like this is pro wrestling. You don't ha- actually have to weigh them properly. You just fiddle with the scales, make it look and say something, say what they are. And you can even see like Cody telling him what the weight should be so he can just announce it. But he, no, he's like fixated on the scales. And then like somehow there's a wind blowing and it messes with the flags they've got. And then somehow halfway through like fireworks start going off nearby. <laughs> so <laughs> the crowd's completely distracted. The performers are distracted. This was a wet fart. And hilariously so. Um, but there can only be one nominee, only one winner, and far out. Like, oh, man. Like, I'm wearing an Eddie Kingston shirt. John Moxley's my favourite ever wrestler. Kenny Omega's one of my favourite wrestlers. I love this match. We're going to cover it on the, the wrestling, uh, on the podcast in a few weeks' time. I love this match. But far out. The ending. Oh, my God. Like, it let everything down. The gravitas of this match was so let down. And the reason that this wins over, say, the blood and guts, over, say, like, the Cody stuff I was talking about or the Suzuki incident is, like, this is the main event of a pay-per-view, the ending for the main event of a pay-per-view for your championship. And this happens. Like, it's no understatement to say that this was, like, when we're talking wet farts, right, like, we're talking where you think it's going to be a nice dry fart. You're just going to get away with it and then a little bit of wet. This this isn't just like a little bit of wet. This is like a full-blown pants full of diarrhea moment for AW. <laughs> In terms of how much is this is like letting down what should have happened. Um, you know, like all the character beats I talked about. <laughs> this incredible match that I love, I still love, even despite of the ending. Oh, I mean, they're just lucky that they had Eddie Kingston and John Moxley and Don Callis and Kenny Omega try and make something out of this. Because if it had been any lesser wrestlers, man, this could have, like, this literally could have been career-limiting stuff. But it does win one thing. It wins the Golden Wombat wet fight of the year <laughs> for a pants full of diarrhea for this explosion that never happened at a revolution 2021. Moving along, thank goodness. And from here on, we're going to be focusing on, like, 
this is where the, the awards start to get a bit more serious. They're looking at the tag team of the year, the wrestlers of the year, and then, of course, the match of the year. Tag team of the year. We've got nominee one, the Young Bucks. Started the year as champions. Had a number of great matches against you know, Eddie and Mox and then the Lucha Bros and have sort of been doing things in the trios division since. Uh, in multi-man matches, you know, the Dark Order and Jurassic Express, those sorts of guys. Nominee two, the Lucha Bros, of course, became champions. Both of them were in, like, interesting combinations with Eddie Kingston and there was, like, Eddie Kingston and Pentagon versus the Bucks and um, Ray Phoenix and Puck versus the Bucks at different points. Um, but, you know, ultimately winning the championship in a steel cage match against the Bucks to fall out and then going on to have feud with FTR. Looks like they're heading to a feud with Jurassic Express. Um, or, or, you know, different matches. I think I had a, a championship match with them claimed as well. So lots of solid work throughout the year for them. FTR, like these are the, you know, the three most featured teams really in AEW. Uh, FTR, of course, they had the, they were part of the Blood and Guts match early on. Uh, they had a series against Proud and Powerful, who are my fourth nominees, and then went into a series against Lucha Bros. And that's pretty much been their year. They became AAA champions this year as well. Uh, and, you know, it's just been very, very solid. Uh, you know, their, their series against Proud and Powerful was a bit fake bit at different points. Um, <laughs> Floyd's cheering for FTR. It's my opinion, Floyd, and you can on your show you can have FTR if you want. Um, tips of the wise, probably not going to be FTR, <laughs> uh, but they've had a they've had a really good year. Like they have had a really good year, and they're they're getting better and better as well. Um, I think they're finding their place really well in the division. They're finding their how they how their style fits with the AEW house style, and it's not something that they immediately sort of gelled with. And I think you can see that really. In this, the trios match they recently had um, with MJF against Sting, Darby Allen, and CM Punk, like that was just such a good match, so solid, such great work. And you know, I think, I think they are a really great um, featured player in the tag division, uh, even when they're not champions. And I expect them to be champions at some point again down the line. Uh, Fourth nominee, Proud and Powerful. I think, look, I think the first four are really, they're like the four um, most heavily featured teams in AEW. Of course, you've got those, those guys are part of the Blood and Guts match. And then the series against FTR. They've been a bit quiet since then. They were part of the American Top Team series, of course. I think, like, these guys this year have really set themselves, uh, they made Sting look like God. They did. That's that's a good point, Floyd. They absolutely FTR, that is, he's talking about. They made Sting look like a god. Absolutely. As I said, like in the podcast that I did with Floyd uh, about FTR versus Young Bucks, these guys are just absolute wrestling nerds. Um, and and they would have just absolutely loved being in the ring with Sting and making him look incredible. Uh, and they are wrestling nerds as well. So they love some Sting. They love themselves some Sting. Um, they would have been little Stingers back in the day when they were growing up. So... They would have loved that. Uh, back onto Proud and Powerful, you know, I think the thing these guys have done this year that has really helped me see them in a new light is they have gotten really strong on the promos, particularly Santana. Man, that guy can cut a promo and a half. Um, and I I suspect, and a lot of people do, that they are 
kind of on the back burner a little bit at the moment, but leading up to a big program with the Luther Rose. The fifth nominee, I was kind of torn on this one because I really love Jurassic Express, but then I was thinking back, they haven't actually done There's been a lot of stuff they've done that's not been tagged. They, of course, were part of the build-up to All Out where there were people who were thinking maybe they should face the Young Bucks instead of the Lucha Bros. So apart from that and the multi-man work, they've done, they've done a lot of, they've been doing a lot more solo stuff with Jungle Boy. So I've gone with 2.0 as my next nominee. You know, as I said, they were nominated for Cooper of the Year. They have just been highly entertaining. Um, but you need people like 2.0 in the, the in the division. You know, they, they, feel, they feel a very similar role to like the Acclaim. You know, these are teams that are not at the moment. They're not on the level of, like, the top of the division. They're like the mid part of the division. But every time they go out, they're really solid. Every time they get a microphone, they're entertaining. And I love the little relationship they've got with Daniel Garcia, where they're, like, calling him their son. <laughs> Daniel Garcia's just accepting it. Um, you know, they had another great program, you know, where they were involved with Darby and Sting and Sam Punk. Uh, and, and they made Sting look like God, like a god as well. Uh, and as I said, the main reason for them is just highly entertaining. Uh, like their promos with Eddie Kingston, hilarious. Um, and just very giving in the ring. They're willing to just play the fool so well. And you just need that in, as I said, like these guys aren't the top of the division. They don't need to look like the top of the division. Um, they don't need to look like superstars. They just need to be entertaining. Uh, and be, you know, great, very punchable. <laughs> they guys are very, very punchable guys. Um, but they can only be one winner. And look, I think it's undisputed. The Young Bucks have had an insane for for in terms of match work, matches in ring and character work. Like these guys have been on another level. <coughs> like I think the only other tag team run by that I know of, and I'm not a like I'm not a long term wrestling fan. So there are the reason I don't call these guys the greatest tag team ever is because I have never watched a lot of eighties wrestling. And tag team wrestling back then was very strong. Same with nineties. Like I've not watched a lot of nineties wrestling, and I know that there was strong tag team stuff. I've watched a lot of featured matches, you know, like the matches you know about, but I haven't watched the week in week out. And these guys, like when you look at them, you look at like their high profile stuff. Match against um, match against Chris Jericho and MJF. Yeah, it was maybe like a, a bit mid, <laughs> but but then you look at you know their other pay per view matches against Eddie and John Moxley. Incredible match of the year contender against against the Lucha Bros. Match of the year contender and filling in the blanks in between that, like matches against Jurassic Express, where like you wanted Jurassic Express so badly to get the steel cage match because. You wanted them to beat the Young Bucks because these guys were just so insufferable. Uh, and against, as I said, against like Penta and um, Penta and Eddie and Puck and Phoenix. And, you know, they've then gone on to do stuff with the Dark Order and Hangman Page. Just absolutely top tier work. The only, the only other year that I can compare it to um, is FTR slash The Revival in 2016 when they had those matches against American Alpha and DIY. But, like, the thing that I've just loved about the Young Bucks is their character stuff. Like, these are, 
I think like for years the people who've been saying these guys don't have psychology and they're just pop monkeys have been like well and truly out of date with their takes. But this year it is just so evident these guys are absolute character wrestlers as well. They are so <laughs> Floyd has just said in the chat, I think you've had too much to drink FTR. Of course you're gonna say that, Floyd. Look, Floyd, when when you wake up in the morning and <laughs> when you when you've also got off the drink, you'll realise that I'm right. Um like the character stuff these guys have done, um, the promos they cut, just the, the Nick Jackson doing that <laughs> These guys have just been on fire in every aspect of their game. Uh, and if I was going to pick, I haven't done it in this, this year, but if I was going to pick a Golden Wombat for like the at the um, act of the year, these guys would take it over my wrestler of the male wrestler of the year and female wrestler of the year. These guys have just had the most incredible year um, for a tag team that I can remember, except for maybe that 2016 run. Just hitting on all cylinders. And as you'll see in my match of the year, I just love the work these guys do. So they are my 26, 2021 Tag Team of the Year, Golden Wombat Tag Team of the Year. Female Wrestler of the Year. Um, this is one that is fairly hotly contested, really, for a division that people don't think is done very well. And look, me being one of them at different points. When I look back, there's been a lot of good stuff this year. My nominee won, Hikaru Shida. Of course, my Nut Trucker of the Year. Uh, she started the year as champion, created this incredible tournament, which was just an awesome idea. We had this Japanese bracket, this American bracket, um, culminating in a match with Rumi Zanami that's very underrated. Everything about Hikaru is underrated. <laughs> you know, also had a really a really good program with Britt Baker in the lead-up to Double or Nothing. Went quiet, which is, you know, this is the downer on Hikaru Shida's year, but then came back and has just had this incredible feud against um, Serena D, who's one of my other nominees for rest, Female Wrestler of the Year. Nominee two, Britt Baker, of course, DMD. She's the champion. It had a had one of the the great women's matches in AEW, like a match that is a moment in time for the women's division against Thunder Rosa, who's one of my nominees. Uh, became champion, has been really strong as a character, even if she hasn't been as strong in the ring as I would like her to be. Lloyd says he has no idea who to pick. I think this was very close as well. Um, you know, very very strong as a character, but not so strong in the ring. Strong programs with, like, Ruby Soho, strong program with Kay Conti. But, like, nothing in the ring that really blew me away, except for that match with Thunder Rosa, of course. As champion, though, like, nothing in nothing in the ring that's blown me away. Thunder Rosa, <clears throat> as I said, the unsanctioned match, like, what more do you need to say about that? She is... Just a really beloved part of AEW, the AEW women's division. She isn't. She's been a part of this TBS tournament as well, like a big part of this TBS tournament. Um, but like, apart from the unsanctioned match in the TBS tournament, hasn't done a whole lot, unfortunately. Uh, I think she's being set up for a big 2022, and I think all of us know that, like Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa, that's a program that's got money written on it for the division and that's going to be a really high profile thing but you know she hasn't had the most um you know she's like Kurashida she's had a lot of quiet periods this year Serena D two really great matches with Riho Serena D 
uh, and then, of course, got injured, unfortunately, but then has come back and has just been on a tear with Karu Shida. Like, showing a side of, getting a side of, out of Shida that we hadn't seen before, uh, and is just setting herself up, even though she's not a champion, like, is setting herself up as a champ maker in the in the division. Like, this is a person you're going to send women to when you want to get them ready for a championship match or you want to get them heated up. Or even if you just want them to uh, have some shine put on them and some finesse put into their in-ring work, I think she could be really good with, say, Tay Conti, who's still quite raw uh, as an in-ring talent, uh, or, you know, even to go, like, maybe a bit further down, Layla Hirsch, Red Velvet, you know, like these performers that AEW's got that have a lot of potential and have a lot of, have a bit of audience connection, but, you know, are still finding their way a little bit. I think Serena Deeb is someone who can take them to school, literally, as the professor of pro wrestling. And then my fifth nominee, Ruby Soho, as I said, for my um, debutante of the year nominee for her, like came in it all out and really really got a connection quickly with the audience uh, and has been a, a really strong presence in the division through her program with Britt Baker through the TBS tournament, uh, which I think the TBS tournament has been one of the best things to happen to the women's division uh, alongside <laughs> probably even more, definitely even more so than the uh, initial tournament that happened at the start of the year. But that sort of shows you, that sort of showed what could happen if you do put effort in into making a tournament, and they've really shown that with the TBS with how they've been able to book that and how strongly Ruby Soho has performed throughout that. So she's my fifth nominee. How by winner, as Floyd said, this is a really tight one. Uh, my winner, I think it, for me, as I said, I, like <laughs> the Karushita slander is out of control. It's always been out of control. <laughs> no, I think most people respect it, but I'll never stop beating the drum. I, I love her as a performer, um, but she was quiet for most of the year. And like, you can't, you can't if you can't say that for the champion, Britt Baker, and was was strong but lacking at some points. So that leads me to my winner, Serena Deeb, because everything she has done has just been so excellent. Even when she hasn't been, she had an injury, so she was off TV. Program with Riho, which I'm going to be, I believe is my next episode um, with my mate Gareth from ELO Wrestling um, and Pro Wrestling Musings. Like the series with Riho is so, so good. <laughs> and then this program with Hikaru Shida, I think it's the best like program and long term feud that we've had in the AW Women's Division, uh, particularly in the way that is like. Deeb has been able to bring out a fire from Hikaru Shida that wasn't there before. Um, and there was probably something that Hikaru Shida needed when she was champion but didn't necessarily have. Um, people loved her and respected her. And, like, the audience got into this feud because they did like Hikaru Shida and they wanted well for her because they do know what she did. Um, but she, but Deeb has been the perfect foil for Shida in this aspect. And... There's been different times where she's been just been like sitting on the sidelines and you've just been like waiting for her to get involved in other people's programs. So I'm looking forward to what they do with Steve and for just <coughs> the outright excellence, even if it was on a limited scale, just the outright excellence in the programs with Riho and the program with Sheeta, she gets my wrestler of the year and my female wrestler of the year.
let me know in the chat what you think of that and who you would have picked because man i don't know it's a it's it's a real close one it's a real close one and there's no clear number one all of them have you know pros and all have cons which moves me to male wrestler of the year another super close one sorry boy cody's not nominated uh so my nominees kenny omega the champion for most most of the year had a number of incredible matches and you know like the young bucks had a really some really great character work as well you know started the year in this really hot program with john moxley actually started the year with a match against phoenix, um a match against phoenix um which i will be talking about in um in the match guide in a number of in a few weeks time probably like five or six weeks time actually but um, you know, really strong start to the year, and then that was when the Good Brothers showed up, and they sort of reformed the Bullet Club, kind of. <laughs> McKenta showed up, you know, just busting down this forbidden door. Um, Floyd saying, "I probably would have went with DMD, but Serena is a great pick." Yeah, Floyd, it was really close. I I definitely thought of DMD because she is the one that you know has been the forefront of the division, and the crowd love her. But like in ring, I don't think she's got it done quite to the top level that Dave's been at. Anyway, on to the male wrestler of the year, back to the male wrestler. Um, Omega, yeah, as I said, has just been excellent in ring um, and, and had these really hot programs, the one against Moxley, um, and then leading into Double or Nothing. Like, this program with Park and Orange Cassidy became something that you really wanted to see Orange Cassidy win um, because of how, how Omega was treating him. Uh, and... The only weakness to his reign, I think, really, is that you kind of knew who was going to be where it was heading. He ultimately knew that Hangman was going to become champion, um, which is – I'm still not sure how I feel about that in terms of, like, does it – is it actually a detraction? You know, they laid out a really good story, and because it was such a strong story, you could see where it was headed. Not everything in wrestling needs to be a swerve or needs to be unpredictable. Sometimes it's good for the predictable but sensible and 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 the, the path that makes sense to win. Um, but, yeah, look, great matches with, as I said, that barbed wire death match is fantastic, and I hope to do it justice when we talk about it on um, the match guide in a couple of weeks' time. The triple threat at Double or Nothing was really good. He had a great match with Jungle Boy as well um, in the meantime. This incredible five-man with Hangman Page this match against Christian um, for the Impact title, which was good. Norloff, I don't count these because it's AEW I'm talking about, but he's like having great matches in Impact as well and AAA. Then has this just like blow away match with Brian Daniels, 30-minute Iron Man that goes to Broadway. Incredible stuff. I'm doing it all with Vertigo as well. Just this guy is one of the great in-ring talents that we've ever seen. But at the same time, like the Young Bucks, just being a, a perfectly insufferable prick that you want to see lose. You just love getting behind the baby face that's against them. Uh, and that was shown in, you know, like how the crowd got behind Orange Cassidy, how the crowd got behind Jungle Boy, how they, you know, they got behind Christian a little bit, how they got behind Danielson, and how they massively got behind Adam Page, who is one of my nominees that I'll go into later. Nominee two, Eddie Kingston. This is a guy who has, like, upset the apple cup. Um, I said before, like, AEW is a, is a company that meticulously books itself. And this is a guy who wasn't, wasn't meant to be part of AEW. 
He was someone who came in for one shot through strength and performance, um, willed himself to be one of to be on the roster, and has gone from strength to strength since. Uh, like had, as I said, had a really great match against the Young Bucks with John Moxon. Had, you know, some really strong stuff against Miro, the Redeemer. Had incredible program with CM Punk and another great and a great match with Brian Danielson. And every time this man is on the screen, he is captivating in such an incredible way. Um, and particularly had like had just a really incredible late surge um, in terms of being his his case for being the, the champion, the um, male wrestler of the year. Brian Danielson, man, talk about late surges. This guy came from nowhere. Um, but week in, week out has just got it done in such an incredible way. <coughs> so much fire, so much passion, obvious passion, but has been able to be a bit of a chameleon as well. You know, when he first came in, he's a guy that fans are getting behind against Kenny Omega and then against Hangman Adam Page. He he starts in throughout the tournament, he starts to become a bit more brutal. Um, number one championship tournament, he becomes a bit more brutal, has a very physical match against Eddie Kingston. He's a bit of a prick to him, really, um, to start with. And then against Hangman Adam Page, like almost outright, he, he shows his true colours. He's still coming out of that face tunnel because he thinks he's a face. Um, but he is, you know, really, really um, talking down to, to Hangman Page, um, really putting him down and putting him in what he feels his place is uh, and feeling, you know, showing outright that he thinks he is, a far better and far, far um, superior wrestler. And then, of course, having these incredible matches <coughs> against, I mean, the ones that immediately come to mind are Kenny Omega, of course, Dustin Rhodes, one of my nut trucker nominees, <laughs> um, Eddie Kingston, um, had a great match against Miro. Uh, and then, of course, he went against all the Dark Order as well. Dragged great matches out of them. Um, not that you know they needed dragging out of, but really, really fantastic series against them. And then, of course, my the the sixty minute Broadway with uh, Hangman Page, which I loved, and I will be talking about later on in my match of the year stuff. And that moves moves on to my fourth guy, um, my fourth nominee, Hangman Adam Page, who makes a you know an underrated. I uh, had an underrated start to the year. The program against Matt Hardy, it was nothing incredible but it was exactly what you want someone doing who you want to be a focal point of your company but isn't necessarily in the top spot right now you know it's busy work for example uh and then of course had the uh the match against brian cage at double or nothing which is fantastic <coughs> a lot of stuff with team taz had a good match with ricky starks until he dropped ricky starks on his head um, <laughs> and then you know this really hot, really hot program. Once the once the crowds opened up again, a really hot program against the elite, getting Omega, where, which led to that five man tag match, and then came returned to win that that ladder match to, to become the number one contender and, and won it in another great match against Kenny Omega. You know, and then had I don't think he had the strongest side of excuse me. <coughs> He was the weaker part of the weaker half of the Danielson feud, but when they actually got in the in the ring and had their match, like more than held his own. 
and then also elevated that match, which was one of my favourite matches of the year, that 60-minute doorway they had. And then my nominee five, Miro, who, as I said when I was talking about promo of the year, just managed to to explode and, and become someone who people are saying is the greatest TNT champion ever uh, because of just the strength of his work as the champion, as the redeemer. And, of course, you can't forget this year also had the Arcade Anarchy match, which was a very strong and very well-received tag match. So he also has a strong case for Male Wrestler of the Year. And this was also a really tight one. But for me, for me, I kind of went, for me, this was split between the head and the heart. <clears throat> my head my head says Omega, but wrestling is ultimately about feelings, not emotions. And no one this year dragged emotion out of me more than Eddie Kingston. He came home like a house on fire. As strong as Brian Danielson came home, Eddie Kingston came home just as strong. He also had a strong first half of the year. Like, this is a man who the the early catchphrase for, for AEW was going from undesirable to undeniable. And no one has done that more than Eddie Kingston. No one exemplifies that more than Eddie Kingston. No one is the heart of AEW more than Eddie freaking Kingston. Like, this is a man who has engendered such a following has become such a beloved figure and has been involved in some of the most heated and most compelling feuds in the division, um, in the in the company. I'm talking the feud with the young, that, that feud with the Young Bucks, um, which he had. He was involved in multiple tag team matches against the Young Bucks. And then the feud against Miro, where people so desperately wanted to him to win the TNT Championship. He had that great promo battle with Miro. And then the the match against, and then the match against um he he got it he had a great match against Kabashi oh, not Kabashi that's who he I'm sure he'd love to have a match against Kabashi that uh, match against Kojima wait was he against Kojima or was he against who was he against it all out I can't remember God this doesn't talk <laughs> it doesn't talk it was against Miro of course it was against Miro um the great match against Miro and then. The pro, the match against Danielson, which is an absolute bad burner. One of the that match against Danielson, I think, is like one of the matches that I would show to people who don't know how great wrestling can be, um, and I want to show them what wrestling can be. And then that just incredibly heated program with CM Punk, um, where they just laid bare such they just laid themselves bare so brutally, and the rage felt so intense, the anger, the passion felt so intense um, and, and felt so real. No one is more authentic than Eddie Kingston. No one is more beloved than Eddie Kingston. Man, I so, so badly want him to be champion. I got my Moxley run in 2020, that Moxley championship run that he should have had in, a, in WWE, but he never got. That was the last of my scotch. I might have to pour myself some more. <laughs> but in 2022, 2023, I so badly want Eddie Kingston to be the AW champion or the TNT champion. Man, I'd settle for the TNT champion, but he should be a singles champion at some point because people love him so badly and get behind him so much. 
Uh, he could even just be a champion for one night and it would be fine because this is a man who could have been forgotten. And I'm stealing lines from my mate Mizban. I've done, I've recorded a podcast about the match between him and Mox, um, the I Quit match. These, I'm stealing lines from him at this point. This is a man who people thought, um, long-term fans of him thought that he would be lost. Um, that this would be a talent that one day people would look back on and would wonder whatever happened. How did this guy not become a? How did this guy not become a bigger star? But he has become a bigger star, and he has become undeniable. I think as a singles wrestler, and he has done that in 2021. So for me, he is my male wrestler of the year. 2021, the golden wombat. He is a bit of a wombat as well. If you know anything about wombats, you'll know why Eddie Kingston is the golden wombat for 2021. <laughs> and that brings me to my countdown for the matches of the year. Now, I'm going to do this a little bit differently. Um, instead of having five nominees, uh, I've just gone I've gone with the honourable mentions and a top ten, which I'll count down. I'll talk about a little bit about each match. Based on who I've been nominating, you'll probably get an idea. Um, but in the chat, because um, it'll be a little while before I get to it, maybe in the chat, tell me what you think my number one match is going to be. Um, what do you think is going to be my top match of the year uh, for the for the, the match of the year for 2021, the Golden One match? Um, what do you think it's going to be? And what what's your favourite match of the year? Uh, so let's go to it. Firstly, my honourable mentions. Uh, I've got Miro versus Eddie Kingston. As I said, I just love this program. Um, the crowd was so on Eddie's side, and he did such a cool job of creating this flaw in, uh, and, and identifying this flaw and this chink in Miro's, Miro's armour and trying to exploit it, but then ultimately not being able to get there. Heartbreaking stuff that he had to give up. Um, Honourable mention two, Karashita versus Serena Deeb two. Man, I so wanted this to be in my top ten. This was so close to being in my top ten. Um, as I said, this this is this is probably non gimmick matches. I think this is the best singles match that the this is the best match that the AEW division has produced, aside from gimmick matches. Um, just so much fire in this second match from Sheeta, uh, and the crowd was into it too because of how they did the first match with um, Sheeta missing out on her fiftieth win. They immediately created stakes, uh, and then Sheeta was fighting for her life in it. Serena Deeb was taking such great pleasure in being able to punish Sheeta and being the foil um, for this person who had been great in the division, uh, and being out, she took such great pleasure in being able to spoil that. Uh, and then, of course, Sheeta got the win, um, which was uh, you know a great moment. Uh, Hangman versus Danielson is Floyd's. Um, my match of the year is Bucks versus Bros from All Out Cage match will be yours. Okay, we'll see if you are correct. Um, Hangman versus Danielson is mine. That's certainly one that's going to be on my list as well, Floyd. Um, so we'll see what happens. Honorable mention number three, Puck versus Andrade. Number, um, number, I think it was their third match. Sorry, their second match. Uh, in terms of work rate, like, incredible stuff they these guys were just pulling out such great moves um and their chemistry together was so good they had strength they had agility you know this is 
from just an aesthetic point of view, watching a match. Um, and, and they had grit, a bit of grit and fire in this match as well. Um, this is what I want. You know, these guys didn't have much of a story or a program. Uh, if anything, the program was detracting from the actual match itself. Um, but, you know, I really like the stuff these guys put together in their series. And then honorable mention number four, I really wanted to put this in my top ten as well. I wanted to love this match more than I actually did. Hangman Page versus Kenny Omega at um, Full Gear. As I said, I wanted, I love this story. I don't think there's many AEW fans that don't love this story. But for me, the actual match itself, I don't know. It just, I've rewatched it. It's emotive, but it's just, it's not on that excellent level for me. Um, so it didn't make it into the top ten. <laughs> but this was one of the ones I found hard to leave out. I love the I love the program. I love the story so much. But that brings oh, he finally gets his ass out of bed in the top end of the wombats. Yeah, you've tuned in for the last little bit. Imp, um, you'll have to get catch the podcast to find out who who won the other ones, who won the Goober of the Year, and who won the Nut Trucker of the Year. <laughs> but good to have you along for this. So the top ten. Number 10, Don Moxley versus Lance Archer, the IWGP US Championship Texas Deathmatch. I feel like this is a forgotten match. I feel like I'm the only person who is talking about this in the realm of match of the year. This was, Meltzer rated this four and a half. This was an incredible match um, and a fitting end to John Moxley as the IWGP US Champion. No one, even Cody, no one has made Lance Archer look like more of a monster than John Moxley did. Uh, it was so violent, so much like it was bloody and violent, exactly what you want a, a Texas death match to be, essentially a last man standing match and a shocking ending. I did not think that Lance Archer was going to win, but he finally did, paying off a spot that they have elevated over um, over a number of matches, this spot of doing a paradigm shift to the outside. At their first matchup at the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom, um, that's how Moxley won, doing a paradigm shift to the outside through his tables. Uh, that's how he won their Texas death match there. Their second meeting in AEW, Lance Archer was able to kick out after that. Moxley rolled him back in. Um, he was able to kick out after the paradigm shift through the the um, tables. And then this time, what happens is John Moxley sets up a barbed wire board. Uh, on the outside to paradigm shift Lance Archer through. But Lance Archer slammed him through. I can't exactly remember how he went through the the through the um, barbed wire board, but he got stuck in it. Uh, and he uh, and he couldn't answer the call. So Lance Archer won the IWGP US championship, winning that championship. I reckon the biggest win of Archer's career. I don't know what's happened to Archer since he <laughs> hasn't really been on AEW TV. Um, of course, he did lose it to Hiroshi Tanahashi out of New Japan match later on. But, man, this as an individual match was incredible. Uh, and it came as Moxley was putting together quite a, um, quite a you know, a catalogue of matches as well that, you know, nearly got him nominated for Male Wrestler of the Year. But this was, for me, this was a fantastic match uh, and is one that is not getting enough talk about the uh, amongst the Match of the Year contenders so violent, so bloody, so gritty, uh, and had a crowd like on the edge of its feet and a very shocking ending as well. Uh, so number nine, 
the Young Bucks versus SCU. Man, this was a match that AEW did dirty a little bit. They didn't do the build-up justice, and they didn't do the the final beat, which I've used as the image here, Kazarian and 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 Christopher Daniels um, didn't do that justice either. They kind of cut away from it and then showed them embracing on replay. Archer got injured during the tournament. I forgot about that, Floyd. I forgot that Archer got injured in the tournament. That's what happened to Archer. Um, but, man, such a great match. Anyway, on to this one. AEW did this a bit dirty, but the performers in this match, this was a love letter. This was such a beautiful match. The fire, the final this was the peak of the Young Bucks just being completely insufferable. These are like long-term running buddies that they've got, long-term rivals and friends, people they've had around for Christmas, and they um, they took pleasure in killing off, killing off this union that has meant so much to the people that they're standing opposite. Uh, and there was blood, you know, there was this, incredible moment of like the blood on Matt's shoe and Matt just being so disgusted that he got blood on his shoe. Um, you know, even though this blood is coming from someone that he supposedly loves, but the match, the emotion from Frankie and Chris Daniels, the fire in their comebacks, the last stand of Frankie Kazarian when Chris Daniels had been taken out and Frankie Kazarian was fighting for everything he could to save this tag team that he loved so much and this union that he had with this man that he loved and had ridden with was something else. The fire from Frankie Kazarian was just incredible in this. This was just a love letter to each, to each other from each of these teams. Um, so much love put in and such an incredible result. Uh, it's, it's a bit sad this didn't happen in front of a full crowd because, man, I would have loved to have heard how the crowd would have got behind Frankie Kazarian. Um, as he was having his final fight and, of course, the emotional hug at the end. Um, just a beautiful end point. Uh, so, yeah, this is – I kind of – I would have loved to have put this higher, um, but I, I just couldn't because uh, there was such a strong set of matches. But, you know, this was just a great match by the Young Bucks that is, is sort of flown under the radar a little bit. I haven't seen it getting much match of the year, um, match of the year chatter either. Number eight. I said I would talk about it more. I loved it. <laughs> Kenny Omega versus John Moxley exploding barbed wire death match. AEW World Championship. Oh, I've written World Championship on the slide. Whoopsies. Yes, the ending sucked. Get that out of the way. But, but, this is one of the great death matches you'll ever see. Like, we have not seen wrestlers on the level of John Moxley and Kenny Omega do a match like this. There are specialists like Onita. There are veterans, hardcore veterans like Foley and Harry Funk who've done these matches. Uh, you know, like there are well-known people who've done these matches, but no wrestlers on the level uh, of like the top, you know, you didn't see Flair, um, Flair and Steamboat do these kinds of matches in the 80s. You didn't see say, um, Austin and Rock do this match in the 90s or early noughties. You didn't see Cena do this match. Uh, you didn't see, yeah, th these guys are fighting for the top championship and they are doing a exploding barbed wire death match. 
And for that alone, like the physicality in this match and the danger that they set up in this match was so well done. And the grit and fire from each performer was incredible. John Moxley in this match put on a character performance that is just so perfect, so well done. Um, what's Imp said here? Ah, yes, a work of art that weren't for the production at the end. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, the only thing that lets this match down is the ending. But everything up until that is just so well done and so perfect. For me, this is like, if you're just talking bell to bell, this is like a five-star match for, this is the best exploding barbed wire death match they've had. Of course, the ending lets that all down. It's the wet fart of the year. Um, as I said, it won, the, it won the Golden Wombat's wet fart. And let me tell you, Wombat's too. Very big farts. Um, this was, but the actual match itself was incredible. Uh, as I said, in a couple of weeks, I'll be talking about it on the podcast. So I, uh, I don't want to steal too much from that. But the setup for this match, the stakes they created, the way that they elevated the tension early on and then paid off the explosions at different points and like got more violent, more and more violent. It was just fantastic. Brilliant match. And this is my number eight. I love to keep ranting about it, but it's uh, got to keep going. Um, number seven, Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa lights out unsanctioned match. This is honestly, is a little bit of a match that I've not, I wouldn't say soured on. I'm not as hot on it as I was when I first saw it. And I think part of it is um, this match, as good as it is, is very good. It's a match that is going to be as much a moment in the history of the AEW women's division as it is like a good match. So the example I give is like Andre versus Hulk Hogan WrestleMania 3 is not a very good match. But Andre being slammed by Hogan and being beaten by Hogan is like one of the immortal moments in all of wrestling. Um, and it's as much a thing that has happened as it is, and, and as much a legacy moment as it is like a match that is good. Uh, and this, I think this match as well is, is that. It is a really good match. But what it is, is like, what it shows is the potential of this women's division to be a main event attraction. To be something that is as gritty, as compelling, as violent, as authentic, as raw, as anything that the men can do. And Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa are the two women to do that. Like, as soon as they, these two lock eyes on one another in a singles capacity, the crowd is going to explode because this match has happened. The, the build-up to this match was really good. And the actual execution of this match was just so so much these two going out there and saying we're going to make a statement not just for ourselves but for this division for women's wrestling uh and by god they made it uh and that's why that as much as anything else that is why it's on this list um i think i previously would have had it higher because <sighs> it is a really good match but like i think as much as anything it is a statement for what it could be in AEW, what women's wrestling could be in AEW and should be in AEW. Um, definitely deserves to be on this list, but I've got and I've got it ranked at number seven. I know some people who would have it higher. Uh, anyway, next match. Excuse me. <coughs> Gosh, I'm getting flemmy. 
COVID negative though, I did test a couple of days ago. Eddie Kingston versus Brian Danielson. As I said, my wrestler of the year was Eddie Kingston. My debutant of the year, Daniel Bryan. Implication says, Ah, Sam, as much as I loved it at the time, as momentous as it was, I've got Bank Baker Rosa in the exact same position on my own top ten. There you go. Well, I'm not alone in thinking that. But number six, Eddie Kingston versus Brian Danielson. Man, as I've said, I think elsewhere when I was talking about this match, if I want to show people what wrestling can be, uh, what like fire and heart and passion in wrestling could be, this is what I'd show them. Like these two just went out and did violence on one another. They were battling for the potential to, to become champion ultimately because that was for, for number one. But these guys wanted to prove each other, prove themselves against one another. Danielson against this man who has become the heart of AEW and Kingston against like this indie legend who, you know, he has never been able to live up to, but he thinks he can beat. Uh, and he tried with everything he could to, to match Brian Danielson, tried with every molecule of his body to inflict damage. And you can see that in Danielson's like just chopped up chest just red raw chest at the end of this match, but ultimately couldn't get it done. And, of course, like you had this great ending where Eddie is giving him the finger and not wanting to tap out and having to tap out and having to give up. And uh, then ultimately, <laughs> get ready to say the words, Brian and Daniel, so what is final matches? Yes. Um, yeah, ultimately, he... This this then went into the ultimately went into the punk feud where like straight after this match Eddie Kingston he just doesn't want to shake Brian Danielson's hand because he's disgusted with himself but he he comes out and he lets him he vents his fury on the first person he sees Sam Punk who he's already like got a chip on his shoulder against um, you know this was just fantastic pro wrestling um, and is yeah just a masterclass in what pro wrestling can be. Um, the heart, the fire, and the violent, the physicality as well. Um, and that brings me to my next match, Eddie Kingston vs. CM Punk, which is what that last one went to. Like, the way they kicked this off was just so fantastic, where Punk is getting interviewed and Eddie has just been beaten and he's like, why are you smirking at me? Why are you smirking at me? He's someone, you know, he already doesn't like Punk and he sees Punk up when he's already in a vulnerable situation and he immediately, like, fires up at him. And then these two had that incredible promo battle, which was my promo of the year, and then came out. And when these two fought each other, man, it was just so fiery. Um, as I said, like, when I watched this match, re particularly when I rewatched, I was like, this is the moment where CM Punk has to become CM Punk again. Like, he's no longer a nostalgia act. He's no longer, like, this veteran who can just say, like, oh, I'm just feeling my way because he's in a fight with Eddie Kingston. On the on the mic, he was in a fight for survival against Eddie Kingston, and then in this match, he's in a fight for survival against Eddie Kingston. And a man who he doesn't like. Neither These two don't like each other. Um, they don't like what they see when they look at the man across the ring. And, you know, they still haven't resolved it. I hope they never resolve it. I hope these two are like blood rivals. Even though they're both beloved, I hope they are like 
fight on site rivals from the minute that they, from like the rest of their careers in AEW. Uh, or, you know, maybe they could do something where they win each other's respect and it would be incredibly heartwarming as well. Because as I said, they're both like rivals. But Eddie Kingston got Sam Punk booed. Like, that's how good Eddie Kingston was in this and how beloved he is and how good CM Punk is as well. Like, he was able to flip the crowd into booing him because of how far he was going and how much he wanted to disrespect Eddie Kingston, you know? Like, even pulling out a Sam uh, John Cena-esque spot, as we can see in this uh, beautiful little um, picture that I put up for this on the uh, on the slideshow. Oh, hello, Rupert. Rupert's back, everyone. My cat, Rupert. He's back and trying to get in my microphone. This is my fifth, uh, my fifth match uh, on the list: Eddie Kingston versus Sam Punk. Moving into the top four, number four: Adam Page versus Brian Danielson. The AEW Championship match on Dynamite. Uh, the sixty-minute Iron Man. Man, I was on the review with this with Imp afterwards um, for the Wrestling Headlines review, and the thing that I kept going back to with this was I picked. It was going like a lot of people, you know. We're smart. AEW has a smart fan base. Most people picked at about like the half an hour mark or whatever that this was going to go the distance. But I still bit on all the near falls because of how well they sold it. Like the chem, the in ring chemistry and the physicality of this was so fantastic, and the character work from both men, like the fire from Page wanting to show his worth as a champion, and the like the cockiness and the disrespect from Brian Danielson, um, wanting you know because he thinks he's so superior to this man, the man who is champion. Uh, both of them just incredible, uh, and you know, being able to hold a crowd for sixty minutes is something. There's lots of sixty minute matches where the middle of it is like a good five minutes to open, fifty minutes of not very much and then five minutes of really exciting reversals and counters. This was not that. This match had all these different chapters within it. I thought, like, Hangman Page had been fully taken out at one point. Um, I thought he was, like, concussed and they were going to, like, call the match off or something along those lines um, with how they were playing with it in the middle part. And then you had Hangman Page, you know, taking advantage of punishing Brian. And then you had, at the end, just, like, such sweet counter-wrestling from them where, you know, it was clear they read each other's book uh, and knew each other's moveset, so they were doing everything to avoid it but also dealing with deep exhaustion at the end as well because they'd gone nearly 60 minutes. And then, of course, like the final moments where Hangman Page is crawling towards but can't get the cover in time. Just brilliant. Brilliant. Um, and such a great way for Hangman to set up himself as as like a working champion as i said like character wise he's a guy who is going to let his wrestling do either talking more often than not he can talk but he's a pretty softly spoken bloke so he's going to have to get it done in the champion in the in the ring and this was such a great way for him to set set himself up as a working champion as a champion who who fights for, who will fight forever for this thing him says in the chat my god held the crowd for 60 and had them on their feet for the final 10 to 15 incredible stuff. Exactly. Perfect nymph. Exactly why it's number four on my list. Number three, Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson. The other <laughs> Iron Man match, um, you know, very similar. Very similar to <laughs> the, um, 
to the match with Hangman. This was another one where people had picked that it was probably going to go the distance, but it didn't matter um, because the incredible in-ring chemistry that these two had was was fantastic. I rewatched this because I wanted to um, I wanted to compare it to the sixty-minute one to know which one I I liked more and. I loved how Kenny Omega just so remorselessly went after Brian Danielson's head. This was Brian's first match in AEW, and Omega just went so stiffly with his V-triggers at, at Danielson's head, and Danielson sold it so well. He sold the grogginess. It looked like he was concussed, and Omega was just brutally working him over with it. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the final beat where like, even once the bell rings, these two don't want to stop fighting. They keep fighting beyond the half hour, um, and people start climbing in the ring to separate them, but they're still fighting and still going for each other. So I, I just love this, and it, it was the perfect introduction for Brian Danielson for what he was going to be in AEW, uh, and it was the high point for me for Kenny Omega's um, title reign in terms of, like, the... The in-ring singles work um, was the high point for me uh, for all of that, which leaves my top two. And interesting, I said, the high point for singles. <laughs> um, because number two, this was hard, splitting this. And you're right, Floyd, number one is against the Lucha Bros. But for a long time, this was my number one match of the year, the Young Bucks versus John Moxley and Eddie Kingston, AEW Tag Team Championship. I was split on whether this should be my number one. In the moment, I think I like this more than the Lucha Bros match because I think because I love John Moxley and Eddie Kingston so damn much, I wanted them to win this so badly. And this was the return of live crowds who were so, so on John Moxley and Eddie Kingston's side, so heavily behind them. And this was such a well-structured match as well because you had two singles wrestlers, like obviously two singles wrestlers who know each other, but ultimately singles wrestlers against a team. And it took a team to beat each of the singles wrestlers. And what you had was you would have these stanzas where the singles wrestlers would manage to get on top because they'd be able to get one-on-one. And, of course, one-on-one, neither Nick Jackson or Matt Jackson can match John Moxley or Eddie Kingston because they're a team and these guys are singles wrestlers. But at some point, they would get the numbers advantage because they're a team, so they know how to work to get the numbers advantage more than Eddie and Moxley do. And that's what this ultimately was. This was a team beating two individuals. And you so wanted Moxley and and Kingston to win. You so wanted it. You, and, like, there was moments where I was like, they're just going to do it because this is a – this is a return to crowds. They're just going to do this feel good, have this feel good moment. Um, but they they ended up not doing it. But the you know, and the young bucks were in such fine form, just the most insufferable tricks. As I said, I've got this image here of them doing the shield, um, the shield powerbomb thing. Of, you know, they did the Macho Man thing. Uh, they did the Hulk Hogan thing. Just doing anything and everything to get booed. You had this fantastic moment where. Um, where Machine Gun came down the entrance ramp uh, and Frankie Kazarian take him out as the, the elite hunter and off the and then you just see Eddie Kingston launch himself off the ramp because he's took notice 
Don Gallo's coming in to try and blindside them, like this incredible moment of chaos. And the Young Bucks just, they know how to climax the match so well. Uh, and, and ultimately, they just had to take out, took out Kingston, uh, and then they just had to hit Moxley with, I think it was like four BTE triggers because, you know, that was the only way to put this man down. Uh, you know, this man who was formerly the AW champion, it took so much to get him down. Um, I, I want, like, I've wanted to do this as my number one, but on rewatch, uh, this became my number two because my number one, um, as Floyd guessed, the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros Steel Cage AW Tag Team Championship match. I think as much because this was the match with the happy ending. Um, you know, maybe if Eddie and Mox had had a happy ending, it would have been that match. This match was the one that did it. Everything about this match was just <coughs> such a beautiful presentation um, of the Lucha Bros from the the incredible introductions they got with the they had the the Mexican rappers they had the headdresses on they got to the ring and and then in the match you had just the most brutal displays where like Pentagon had his mask ripped up and his face was bleeding and Phoenix was bouncing everywhere just trying to do what he could and ultimately going off the top to take out the Bucks and, and get the win he had. Everything thrown into this match that they could do. Um, you had all of the incredible spots that these teams do, plus you had the added thing of the, the extra brutality of the cage. You had the the thumbtack, the thumbtack shoe um, brought in by the Young Bucks, which is just like, it, it's such a, a unique weapon that they've got but is so perfect for them as, um, you know, as people who just do the super, who could spam the super kick. What do you do? You put thumbtacks on your shoe. Um, so for me, this was the number one match, just a euphoric win for the Lucha Bros. Uh, and I'm not I'm not a guy who likes the Young Bucks style spotty wrestling, but this had so much grit and fire from the Lucha Bros um, in a way that I've never seen the Lucha Bros do before. I, I don't particularly love the other Lucha Bros matches. They're all good. They're all really good. Um, you know, like the ladder match they've had was bordering on great for a ladder match, but this match just, I think I have the image of Pentagon's mask ripped up with the blood coming down his face, just like burnt into my brain for how evocative it is, how how incredible it is. For me, this was my match of the year. Um, and of course, of course, you're welcome to your opinion. Absolutely. Um, this is all my opinion, but the golden one for match of the year goes to the Young Bucks versus Lucha Bros. Steel Cage AEW Tag Team Championship match from All Out. And that brings to an end the Golden Wombat. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I've had a couple of beers, a couple of whiskeys, talked about a lot of wrestling. Thanks to Floyd Nymph for joining me in the chat. Really appreciate you guys. It's been a great year of wrestling. Really fun year of wrestling. And I think 2022 is going to be just as good. And, yeah, look, as I said, it's been a really fun ride with the podcast. Uh, it's been, you know, deep, deep diving every week into these matches. It's fantastic. It's so fun. Uh, and the only problem I've got is that I 
The only problem I've got is that I just want to keep on doing it. <laughs> I want to keep on recording these episodes and I've got to give it a wait before I record my next one. So, yeah. But, look, I, um, I really appreciate everyone who's been loving the podcast, who's been sharing it, who's been reaching out to me, who's been rating it. All of that is just so, so appreciated. Um, just looking at my schedule next week, We'll have Riho versus Serena Deeb featuring Gareth. Um, that was an underrated match as well. Came close to if I think if I had a top twenty, that would probably have made it. Um, but you know, a great match. Riho versus Serena Deeb with Gareth. That's next Friday. And the week after that, I've got Moxley versus Omega, the um, the exploding barbed wire death match. You know, coming up, I've got the the street fight between best friends of Proud and Powerful. I've got matches from that women's tournament that was in Japan. I've got Dustin versus Cody Rhodes. That I'm gonna do that. The number two match from the wrestling from the uh, definitive match guide. I'm gonna do that with the Doc Chad Matthews, one of the goats, the goats for wrestling commentators. Oh, I've got so many great things coming up, guys, and I, I just really appreciate all the people who are along for the ride with me. Uh, Floyd says I was live for five of the ten. It was awesome listening to you give your feelings on them. Floyd, you're a lucky man. I'm really lucky to know you as well, Floyd. You're a, you're a great guy as well. So are you, Imp. Um, and Imp, Imp agrees with me for his match, the match of the year that was the the Bucks versus the Lucha Bros too. Um, but look, as I said, thank you so much to everyone who's been involved in this podcast. It's been such a fun ride, and I cannot wait for the awesome things we're going to do in 2022 as well. But until then, I will see you next year. <laughs> we'll see you next year. Uh, and you can hit me up on Twitter, Sir underscore Samuel. Please rate and review. Um, please check out all the other great shows we have on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Of course, we've got One Nation Radio, which often covers AEW stuff, New Japan, keep it strong styles. You know, it's Wrestle Kingdom season. They'll be reviewing that all about all elite. They've got their own end of year review shows where Floyd will no doubt be giving everything to Cody Rhodes. <laughs> uh, and you know, check out my boy Imp as well on Wrestling Headlines. He does weekly reviews um, live after AEW, and they often feature guys like myself, Rich and Rich and James from One Nation Radio. So support him too. Uh, yeah, look, really appreciate it. Happy New Year, guys! Thank you very much for being with me today, and uh, yeah, love you and respect you all so much. And thank you for being. Here.